People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, and we are so giddy today, we aren't are. we? Yes, we are. We're very giddy today because we just got a brand new fan. I know. Can you believe it? It's Our so exciting. show, NASCAR Angels, chose Renal Support Network and Kidney Talk to profile. And we are so excited because they surprised us. They were supposed to do a patient of ours, Rhonda, Rhonda Brooks. Brooks. She's going to get her whole car made over. This show is like home improvement, but they actually take cars Not and home fix improvement. it up. That was with Tim Allen. Oh, excuse me. It's like <laughs> it's like makeover. What is that show called? Extreme makeover. Yeah, this show is like extreme makeover, but they actually take your car and do a makeover. Right, but it's not like pimp my ride. No, no. no they, they just fix up the car. They fix up the car. They tell you some car techniques. It's put on by NASCAR, and right. NASCAR's got some angels working for them. Right, and they took Rhonda's car and they fixed it up. But then when they presented the car, they told you, Lori Hartwell, to yes. turn around, and they surprised you with, with a van, a nice, gorgeous white van with renal support network written on the side. Exactly. Now, I think nine or ten of us can all travel around and we can be a network. We can all supplies to patient events, to the prom. Uh, You know, so frequently we're doing a patient meeting and we're trying to figure out, do we have enough cars? Right. Now we don't have to worry about it. Peace signals on it. We can sing Kumbaya, (laughs) you know, and we'll have a grand old time. I know. It was an amazing event and uh, we're so grateful because Goodyear donated the van to us. And you know, I always buy Goodyear tires. Yes, from now on, I am always going to invest in Goodyear tires, too. Absolutely, absolutely. On today's show, we have Miss Doctor. Actually, you've got to be very respectful because she is a doctor. <laughs> Can you do that, Stephen? Dr. Donna Mapes. Yes. Uh, what's so exciting about her is she is a pioneer in the renal community. You know, some of her professional experience... She wears, like, the pioneer hat and everything? <laughs> no, no, no. She's actually a pioneer in the healthcare field, not in the... Oh, a pioneer. The, I see, I see. And And she's done research, education, consultation, management, program development. And for many years, she has been in clinical nephrology nursing. And I guess you don't know what else. Yes, I do. You do? I do. You know what? I heard she makes a great lasagna. Oh, yes. I've heard that, too. It's a renal-friendly lasagna. Renal-friendly. Yeah. I know. We'll have to ask ourselves over. But also, do you know she's instrumental in actually creating the K-Doki guidelines, getting the funds to start the... What did K-doki. you say? K-doki? K-doki. Is that kidney, like okie-dokie? No, Kidney Dialysis Outcomes Quality Initiative, which have, were created by the National Kidney Foundation, and they developed these standards so us patients across the country would have some guidelines that the healthcare professional could go by to make sure that we're all getting some basis of consistent care. Oh, some standard way. Yes. Of ch- well, when we come back, we're going to talk about okie-dokies. Okay, no, we're actually going to talk about DOPS. Get your acronym straight, oh, okay. Stephen. DOPS. Stops Okie Dokie. It's like Baskin Robbins 31 flavors. I can't tell, but we'll be back. Driving a cab in a Big Apple could really get on your nerves. With all the traffic, the noises, the rude drivers. Oh, watch where you're going, wise guy. Get some glasses. Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah, the rude drivers. 
There's one thing I wish was a little louder or not so quiet. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. I know it's a big word, but you know what? It's a big problem. It's often referred to as a silent disease. I didn't even know what I had until I experienced weakness, achy bones, itchy skin, and sexual dysfunction. But you didn't hear that last one from me. Some people call it the bone disease because of the loss of too much phosphorus and calcium. But what you don't know, Mr. Smarty Pants, is that it also affects soft tissue like the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels, bada bing, bada boom, and that's about everything. So don't be a wise guy. Wise up and talk to your doctor about the big boy. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. Whoa, for crying out loud, do me a favor, Grandma. Get off the road and throw away your keys. And I'm proud to be a Loki from the school. A place where even squares can have a ball. We still wave old glory down at the courthouse. And white lightning still the biggest thrill. Well, we're here with Dr. Donna Mapes, and I always refer to her as Donna. So, Good. welcome you to call the show, a doctor Donna. By her first name? Yes, I've been over to her house to have lasagna. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, you didn't bring me back any, right? No. Right. You got to call her Dr. Donna Mapes. I can All call right. her Donna. So, Donna, um, you've been instrumental in creating the Dialysis Outcomes Practice Pattern Study. Good. Now, say that fast, Lori. I want you to say that Dialysis really fast. Dialysis Outcomes Practice Pattern Study. Dialysis Outcomes Practice Pattern Study. Okay, that's, that's like red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> that's very good. So can you tell us a little bit about it and what it what what it's involved with this study? Back when we were involved in trying to develop a support for the renal community in the United States, we thought of helping to develop clinical practice guidelines, which you've already talked about. But one of the major issues back in 1994 was there was concern that patients on dialysis in the United States were not surviving as long as patients in other countries. And what other countries are we talking about? Primarily Europe and Japan, because those are the countries that had big dialysis programs. A lot yeah. of the other countries don't like have them yet. Third world countries just don't even offer dialysis. They right? don't even offer dialysis. No. So this, these were the countries that comprise over eighty percent of the world's dialysis population. And we decided to develop a study, one that had never been done before, to first answer the question: Is it true that patients don't live as long in the United States? And secondly. If they do or even if they don't, is it how we take care of them? And is it what the patients do or do not do that makes a difference? Listen, now you're saying that the people in Europe on dialysis were living longer than the people in the United States? Well, that's what the data suggested. And we set about designing a study to see if we could answer that question once and for all. To see if it was real or why or both? Both. Both. That's and that's really important because have you heard of the Framingham study? I the Framingham study out of New York. I've heard of the Birmingham jail. Well, it's (laughs) sort of close, but not exactly there. The Framingham study is a world famous study. It was started, gosh, almost forty years ago, and it was designed to understand cardiovascular disease Mm -hmm. in primarily men because women were not included in the study. They weren't on probably creating the study. That's correct. But (laughs) it has been a landmark study because it has taught us what we know about diet and exercise and all of those factors that contribute to cardiac disease. Mm -hmm. 
And this is a similar kind of study. It's a an exploratory study. It's not a clinical trial per se, but it's trying to inform us about the things that we can do better. I know that, like in France, their dialysis is like eight hours. Only in certain parts of France. We know that now because of the DOP study, because France has been a participating country from the very beginning. And it turns out that there are only parts of France in which patients receive longer treatments. What is the average treatment in France? I mean, I've always heard it's eight hours. Are some of them only getting three or four like yes. we are? There are dialysis units in France in which patients receive the kind of treatment very similar to what we give in the United States. And they only give it to visiting Americans because they hate us. <laughs> they save the eight hours for the French people. <laughs> so what have they found? Have they found, have they concluded with the study which more dialysis is better? In the United States, we do have, in general, sicker patients than they have in Europe and in Japan and in these other countries. We dialyze everybody here. We, we dialyze everybody, but it is the difference in the U.S. population as compared to these other populations. So in the other populations, do they just not take certain people for dialysis? Is that how it works? No, really, the selection no longer exists. If you look very carefully at patients in other countries, you will see they are just as old as patients in the United States. The average age is exactly the same. And they do have what we call comorbidities. Diabetes is increasing, cardiovascular disease is increasing, but it's still not to the degree that it is in the United States because in the general population, we have a higher incidence of cardiovascular disease, much higher incidence of diabetes. Because we're overweight and we don't exercise That's enough. That's absolutely <laughs> correct. And we don't and eat everything right. everything is supersized here in the United States. I know. Everything is. I mean, you go to France, I mean, you, you You're starve hungry. after a meal. So what is this study doing? I mean, what is it? Is it well, changing practice? What are you really learning from it? The first thing that we learned is that if, when you do a study, you can adjust for how sick patients are. Mm -hmm. so that you're not comparing a 90-year-old with congestive heart failure to someone who's 21 and in reasonably good health except for kidney disease. We've done that. And so we know if you're older and sicker, you may not survive as long. But we also now know that once you explain that, there is still a big difference in survival in patients according to how they're treated. In other words, what we call practice patterns. So what we do know is that if patients receive the guideline standard for dose of dialysis, mm -hmm. doesn't matter how you get it. If you get it with a high blood flow and short time or a low blood flow and longer treatment time, your chances of living longer are improved. And what it also tells us is that in the United States, this is the only country in which there is a percentage of patients who actually skip dialysis hmm. or ask to have their treatment time shortened. They don't do that in other countries? No, it's virtually unheard of. And, and what happens if you want your treatment shortened, that you're in pain or you don't feel well, and you say, can I get off an hour earlier today? They do not take you off in other countries. And if you don't show up for dialysis, you try to skip. In Spain, for example, they send the police after you. Oh, my goodness. 
So we would have a busy police force here wow, in the United could, States. Well, could, they're already very busy. Too, yes, because she's the enforcer. My wife. You know, <laughs> she could so do that. So they actually send the police after you because is it a form of uh, what is the rationale that? They're afraid that you're not taking care of yourself and they want you to, or they yes. feel you're trying to commit suicide, or... They want to make sure that you're, the patient is receiving the best possible medical care, and the physicians and the nurses know that you're compromising right, when you don't get your life when you don't get enough dialysis. So they send the police after. You'd be in jail, Stephen, right now. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'd be I'd busy. three we strikes be, and we're out. We law. were going to be doing kidney talk from prison. Absolutely, from Sing Sing. <laughs> well, we need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear more about the dialysis yeah, outcomes practice some, pattern studies right, and learn more about it. Right, ask questions about home dialysis and did you differentiate. And also that rumor is that uh, you were wanted to start a beauty pageant with kidney patients. Is that correct? Hello. Hey, Betty. Mary and I are going to lunch at that new Italian restaurant across from the mall. Dying to go to that place. I hear they got great salads. Then the three of us can do a little shopping across the street and just have a girl's day out. Mm, That sounds like fun. I can't wait. Meet us at 1230 at Tuscany's. Ugh. Wait a second. Today's Thursday. I've got dialysis. Just going early. Are you kidding? They are so strict about the times, and besides, they're all full all day. Maybe next time. I'll tell you about the restaurant and what Mary and I bought at the mall. Such a good friend. There's gotta be a better way. Instead of next time, how about next stage? What Betty doesn't know is there is a better way. The Next Stage System 1, the first truly portable home hemodialysis machine, can help you take back your life and set your own schedule for home hemodialysis treatments. After a short training period for you and a partner, you have your own portable dialysis machine right in your own home. All of your supplies are delivered to your doorstep. Taking back your life and setting your own schedule are just part of it. Doing dialysis at home also allows for more frequent dialysis, which better imitates the function of a normal kidney. Many patients doing more frequent dialysis report that they have more energy and feel better. Want to travel? With your doctor's prescription, Next Stage can support travel anywhere in the continental U.S. The Next Stage machine is about the size of a 13-inch TV and has a sturdy travel case available, and all your supplies will be delivered to your destination. So schedule dialysis around your life instead of your life around dialysis. Ask your doctor if home hemodialysis with the Next Stage System 1 is right for you. For more information, call Next Stage at one 866 Stage or visit www.nextstage.com. And now it's time to Ask the Nephrologist. What dialysis treatment modality would you choose? And here's Dr. Alan Nissenson with the answer. This question has actually been asked, and it, in fact is one of the most common questions that nephrologists are act, asked at uh, various meetings. And I'll give you the funny answers first. If you go to a meeting that's focusing on peritoneal dialysis and you ask that question, the vast majority of doctors say peritoneal dialysis. And if you go to a meeting that's focusing on home hemodialysis, most of the doctors say home hemodialysis. So these polls are a little bit unscientific. But if you were to uh, pigeonhole doctors you know, in a dark alley somewhere and ask them or make them anonymously write this down on a piece of paper, um, I think... And putting transplantation aside, which is the first choice of essentially everybody, um, 
the vast majority of doctors would say, and this includes me, would say home hemodialysis six or seven days a week. Because I think nephrologists, it's easy for us to say that because we haven't had to sit in a chair and go through the process. But at least on a theoretical basis, anything that would accomplish two goals. One, remove the greatest amount of water and the greatest amount of toxins possible during the week. So to start getting closer and closer to what natural kidneys do. Secondly, to try to imitate natural kidneys from the point of view of continuous removal of water and toxins and eliminate the fact that one day you get dialysis, you feel pretty bad when you come in, you get your treatment, you feel not so great either when it's over, and then maybe by that evening you start to feel better. By the next day you feel okay, and by the next day already you're starting to feel lousy. And you never feel exactly stable. Things are always changing every minute. By doing the procedure every day, you at least minimize, if not eliminate, this sort of yo-yo effect of up and down and up and down. You know, chemistries are good, chemistries are bad, I feel good, I feel bad. At least you feel stable, which goes a long way, I think, to improving overall sense of well-being and quality of life. So I think most nephrologists now would pick home hemodialysis done every day. The Ask a Nephrologist segment of this program is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition. The Renal Support Network and the Renal Physicians Association make no representations or warranties and provide no guarantees of any kind as to the accuracy of any information provided during the Ask a Nephrologist segment. Hey, leather boots are still in style for manly footwear. Beads and Roman sandals won't be seen. Football is still the roughest thing on campus. And the kids there still respect the college dean. Did your study include people on home dialysis who do it every day? Or PD, what was the difference between PD and hemo? Right. And well, that's on the rundown. Yes, well, that's a very good question, and unfortunately... <laughs> did you, wait, wait, say that again? It's a very good question. Lori, <laughs> did you hear that? Okay. He's been waiting for that for the last, since we started <laughs> the show. Okay, go ahead. And but what is the un- answer to that very good question? Unfortunately, it's not one that I can answer. Oh, great. Because, because in this study, in order to make sure that we could collect all of the data... We had to restrict it to patients who were in in-center dialysis because for patients on home dialysis, to be able to get all the questionnaires to routinely do the lab studies, them, right? we couldn't get to them and we couldn't mm-hmm. find them. So sadly, we could not include home patients in our patient sample. And what about the difference between PD and hemo? Again, same, same thing. it's the same thing. Because well, don't people go in-center for PD, some of them? Virtually none. Oh. Yeah, it's Virtually hard. Virtually none. I mean, it's I, a, it's they go home. once a month. They're supposed to. Well, but, but as you well know, Lori, places like Canada weeks. and Australia and the Outback, once patients go home on peritoneal dialysis, they may send a visiting nurse out on horseback, by the way, in Australia, but they don't really come into the clinic that right. often. What did you learn about nutrition? Um, that was one of the markers that you were looking at, correct? Yes. Well, we, of course, have long known 
that a measure of good nutrition is a protein in the blood that we call albumin. Albumin, yeah. And we've known for many years that if the albumin goes down, it's not a good sign. It actually means that the patient is compromised, they're not getting adequate nutrition, and we know that this indicates that they may not survive as long as another patient. But to get adequate nutrition has always been an issue. What we have learned when you look at all 12 countries in DOPS, that this, what we call relationship, as the albumin goes down, then survival also goes down. But the interesting thing is, is that while we can explain this sometimes because patients are sicker to begin with. Mm -hmm. They're already compromised. They're already compromised. But what we have learned is that if you look at the dialysis units themselves, there are big differences in the numbers of patients who have a low albumin. In other words, there are many dialysis units in terms of what we call their practice pattern around nutrition in which they have a much higher percentage of patients whose albumins are higher and they live longer. Does it, you think it has something to do with, too, all the um, economic status of the patient? I mean, protein is expensive and some of the high protein foods are beans and you know, beans aren't a good thing to eat when you're on dialysis because they're high in phosphorus, so you need high-quality protein, which means steak and chicken and fish. And if you don't have a lot of money, how do you buy that stuff? How do these patients succeed? Well, again, that's a very good question. And oh, shoot. And? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but let's take Japan. Okay. Japanese patients, Japanese people, eat virtually no red meat. Mm -hmm. They must depend on fish and then other sources of protein to maintain their protein. And the Japanese dialysis patients have the longest survival rate in the world. I was going to ask you, what's the number one country on dialysis? You know, the, For survival? For survival. In the countries that we study, it's Japan. It's and what like, do they do? They it's eat, because how long the do they machines dialyze? are made by Honda. <laughs> They got something special over there. Absolutely. <laughs> well, definitely size has something to do with it. But there are some things that we cannot explain. Here, we can, in, we can figure it out. Just tell us what the problems are. Right. We're experts here. <laughs> but we can't explain it because Japanese people are different right. from the average American mm -hmm. person. And their lifestyle has been different. Uh, their dietary habits, their exercise... In general, they have been healthier as a population. Yeah, I think they eat healthier, too. They eat healthier, and they exercise more. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing in Japan is an alarming increase in diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and hypertension. It's McDonald's. Really? You're right, Lori. It's the, in, the influx <laughs> it's McDonald's. of the American culture. It is the change in dietary habits and the change in lifestyle well, Sitting I be watching more television. Food. It's, 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 it's actually yes. it's fast food. Do you think yes. that's the problem? Well, right. I, it's certainly. That, it's that uh, mixed sushi will do to you every time. <laughs> so you look at nutrition. Did you look at ex what other? Uh, did you look at exercise? We've looked at, as an example, calcium, phosphorus, mm -hmm. which is which are markers for bone disease, mm -hmm. and as you well know, Lori, it's very difficult for patients 
to take the medicine that keeps their phosphorus down and to maintain a diet. But what we now know for sure, as others have shown, that if within those clinical practice guidelines, patients are able to maintain their calcium and their phosphorus and their PTH within the guidelines, they have a better chance of surviving for a longer period Mm -hmm. of time than those who do not. And was exercise included in? Exercise is included. It's included, but it's not a a marker that we can really analyze well enough Mm -hmm. because we have to depend on the patients telling us. And they don't always. We tell the truth. I exercised this morning, didn't you? I did. I did. I I, I ran to the car, turned it on. (laughs) Now, I I have a question. Was there any surprises that you saw in any of the results that you went, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this? Or are you a doctor and you know everything? Well, I definitely don't know everything. But, yes, there have been a number of surprises. Give us one. I'll give you two. Okay, good. (laughs) They're cheaper that way, two for the price of one. The first one is that across all 12 countries, within each country, there is a big variation in how patients are cared for and how they take care of the patients and how they interact with them. And as a result, how well the patients do makes a big difference. Do you see a trend in other countries where they let the patients take over more self-management, they have a better outcome, take more control? Again, it's not a question we can exactly answer. What we do know is that we see large percentages of patients in other countries who manage to keep all of their labs and their weight and their treatment time, and many other things within the clinical practice guidelines. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, their outcomes are better. I mean, I know nowadays in dialysis units, I mean, social workers are stretched thin, dietitians are stretched thin. Mm -hmm. Basically, the squeaky wheels get the oil in the healthcare system that I'm involved in. I mean, you got to call up and say, look, this isn't working for me, because everybody considers me, oh, Lori can figure it out, she can do it on her own. No, I need help too. So do you think that there's a correlation Are these patients getting more direct care and education as opposed to maybe the patients in the United States? We are looking at that, and those are analyses that we don't have finished yet. But we we can hypothesize. Yes, (laughs) we can certainly (laughs) attempt. So tell us about your other big surprise. You said yours two, and I only got one, and I want my money's worth. So. The second big surprise was vascular access. Vascular access, like fistulas? Fistulas, catheters, grafts. And the best, of course, is fistula, right? The best is fistula. But we started collecting this data in 1996. And within two years, we realized that vascular access practices in the United States were very different from the other countries. How so? The majority of patients in other countries have a fistula. Right. And not in the United States? No. In this day and the age? The majority of patients at the time we started had a graft or a catheter, a very small percentage of Mm -hmm. fistulas. And that's why Fistula First was created in the U.S. That is why Fistula First. We showed that data to HICVA, Mm -hmm. now CMS, CMS. and they became really, really interested in it and alarmed by it. 
And so we now have the Fistula First program. For those of you listening out there, a dialysis catheter, they call it a permanent catheter, but really it's a temporary access. I don't know who gave it the name of permanent catheter because I think patients get confused that it can be a permanent access. And it's really just a bridge, and you need to get that thing out of you as quick as you can because it's so prone to infections, and it's an infection right to your heart. So it's really hard to treat, and it's very deadly. You're absolutely right. And unfortunately, in the United States, many patients prefer catheters. Well, they don't have to get stuck. They don't have to get stuck. It's our job to really teach patients the uh, consequences and the pitfalls of having a catheter. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming by and telling us all about DOPS. And this is a great study, and I'm going to look for it and read up on it. What's really interesting is actually the Renal Support Network, we have a program called the Patients Educating Patients and Professionals Program, which I, I know. know pro- I love pa- PEP. And one of our presentations that the patients will be giving is based on some of the DOPS information and is calling Taking Charge and Adding Life to Your Years. That's going to be given to patients, but it's going to be interesting because the patients will be giving some of this information that you've been so instrumental in creating to other patients to let them know that, look, you know, we need to take control. We need to be interested in the studies that yes. are going out there. We have the opportunity to drive practice. Yes. We can go back to our doctors and say, what about this study? What are they doing right? I want to know because I want to live a long life. And I think that anybody listening out there needs to know that we can take control. And if you listen to the little mantra at the beginning of this radio show, it thumbs it up, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Or at the end of, this, if, end of the show. And if they refuse to let us take control, <laughs> we'll take it by force. And I'm proud to be an Okie from the school. Papers, prairie, and squares can have a ball. We still wave old glory down at the courthouse. White lightning still the biggest thrill of all And white lightning still the biggest thrill of all If you'd like to receive information and materials regarding transplantation, join the Transplant Experience Program by calling 1-877-482-7627. When you enroll, you'll receive a free transplant information kit, including a resource journal and your own copy of this video, Sharing the Experience. The Transplant Experience Program provides information, tools, resources, and inspiration to patients at every stage of the transplant process all free of charge. Call 877-482-7627 today and join Transplant Experience, sponsored by Estellas. Well, I learned so much today. Yes, are you not ever going to skip a treatment again? Because no, I'm going to send arrested. the police. Yes, you know, I the police are going to be at your house, handcuffs. and I'm going to have them take you to a really awful jail but in Los Angeles. But you know what, Lori, you, you're making it sound like I don't do my treatments. I always I know. do my treatments. I know. I know you, know. you do. You're very good. You're actually been you've been doing daily dialysis, and you I do see daily a big dialysis, difference. dialysis, right, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think that's so true. You know, if anybody says they love dialysis, I think something's wrong with them. It's it is you know very much wrong with them. Yes, you know, but, but you're grateful for it, right? Yeah, I am grateful for it. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting about the other countries. You know, the different. I was very shocked to hear the United States had a lower success rate on dialysis than other countries like Japan and and some of the. Well, I think Spain. one of the factors is is that you know they have a higher expectations of what their patients are supposed to do. In this country, it's like okay, it's your choice to show up or not. The other one's like. Pfft. 
if you're not here, sorry, somebody else is going to get that chair. And we, they don't mess around. Here, well, you know, okay, if you don't show up, we'll dialyze you in the emergency room. I mean, that's what we'll do. And, you know, I think there's some middle line there. Um, you never want to say it's an extreme case because I've been a patient who's been depressed and I just can't find my way and, I, you know, whatever, I can't get there or I don't have transportation. But there is a, a fine line of patients who just take this program for granted. And it puts all of us who are trying to take care of ourselves, all of the resources are going to these other patients who aren't wanting to take an interest. And I get upset because they're taking away some of the best healthcare professionals' times that could be directed to me. <laughs> it's right. all about me, right? It's all about you. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny because we take for granted this dialysis because, you know, right? I've been doing some research on the early dialysis where there was people were, were competing right. against a slot. You know, dialysis back then was 11 hours. Right. You know, and going around and session. collecting coins to pay for it. Absolutely, because the government did not pay for it. Right. And so I think as patients and family members who are listening is that we do have a lot to be grateful for, but we're part of the solution of helping, you know, figure out what will work in this community. And if there's something that's working for you, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with another patient. And that's what RSN is all about. You know that. And also, you know, don't charge them for your information like you do. <laughs> we can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.